Hi, this is Libby. And this is Roberta. And this is Art Blog Radio. Uh, today we're talking to Tim McFarlane. His juicy abstract paintings have been on our radar for years. He's included in this year's Northeast edition of New American Paintings. That's issue number 92. And he's going to be in a show at Bridget Mayer Gallery in November. Um, initially, 10 years ago when we first saw his work, uh, Tim's works had a hard-edged, rectangular, simple color backgrounds, and they were kind of like a cityscape reduced to stripes of color. But over time, Tim's works have morphed into something quite different. Uh, they left behind the geometry for nets and squiggles, and more recently for biology with bright, colorful shapes that look like amoebas or maybe clouds. But Tim's works have always been about people and relationships and how people affect each other, and he's always been a terrific colorist. So, Tim... In addition to painting, you're a photographer, and you were an early, early Flickr user, and a lot of it was in black and white. And I'm wondering, such a colorist, and yet you have chosen to take so many photographs in black and white. Can you tell us a little about that? Um, uh, there's something about black and white photography that just I've always thought was very um, mysterious and also sometimes went beyond color. You know, when you take when you remove color, um, you, it makes you focus on things in a different way within the image. There are the gradations of shades within black and white that you don't necessarily see with color. So let's talk about your schooling for art. You are you went to art school. You went to mm-hmm. Temple, Tyler, mm-hmm. um, yes. and you graduated in 1994. Yes. Did you intend at that time to make it as an artist? Did you have the intention of, oh, I want to come out and be an artist? And then what happened? What set um, you on a career path? I actually, actually, it was way before that that I determined that I wanted to be an artist. It was in high school. It wasn't so much like wanting to make it as an artist. I think at, the, at that time, at that young age, it was more about feeling like this is something that I could do. This is where I kind of I felt like I could excel at, you know, where other kids were, you know, great at sports or, I mean, I was good at English and horrible at math, you know, but when I got, got into the art room, art class, that's where I felt like I kind of fit. Any, I went to, actually, any mentors that you had in high school that were instrumental? Um, yeah, my high school art teacher, my, uh, his name was uh, Richard Siegel uh, at Olney High School. He taught a lot of color and he he um introduced me to the impressionist and that's where i started getting my love of color you know through looking at uh, monet's um even people uh, post impressionists like Cezanne, and even going back to old master works as well so after college then mm-hmm. did you have a job to step into and did you get this studio you you have this lovely huge <laughs> studio that we're sitting in yeah. um which you've had for 10 years now well when i came out, out of, yeah when i came out of school um i was making basically i was making art for a long time for a while in the house in west philly i lived in west philly for about four years after that i found a space at uh 12th and vine at a building that's still there but it's abandoned unfortunately and I've always worked. I've worked through high school. I worked through college. Um, and so I always had a job. I worked, I worked as a manager at uh, a scene marketing cafe, natural food store, independently owned natural food store. You still work for them? I still work there, yes. So you are represented by a gallery in Philadelphia. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a story about how that happened? Because it's, there's not a lot of artists in this city or probably any city that are actually represented by a gallery. 
Yeah. Um, well, around uh, 2002, well, around 2001, actually, I saw that Bridget Mayer um, was opening up. And at the time, there were only, um, I think, three galleries in the city that I could feel like my work was could fit into, um, and hers was one of them. What were the other two? The other two was um, were Larry Becker and Pennementi Gallery. So it was those three galleries that I was kind of, you know, and at that time I was just at the place, at a place where I felt confident enough to be, be able to approach a gallery. Uh, it was kind of interesting because at the same time, around 2002, there were some things happening for me as well. I, I was publishing New American Paintings for the first time. And also, I was in the Fleischer Challenge show in 2001, September 2001. Um, unfortunately, September 11th happened, and nobody saw the show, but that's okay. Oh, no. <laughs> it was, uh, that was uh, an unfortunate coincidence. In early 2000, late 2001, she actually contacted me and um, asked me to, at that time, give her slides. So then a number of months went by. It was a long introduction, I guess. You know, uh, So we had a studio visit. We talked. And um, a few weeks later, um, I signed on with her. I mean, it was a it was a big thing for me, you know, as it would be for any artist. Um, and I was I still was kind of skeptical and kind of not sure, but I was kind of ready for that step. I think so. Why were you skeptical? I'd done my homework about galleries and so forth, and different types of galleries, and. You hear horror stories about how some gallerists, they don't pay on time, they don't really care about the artist's work, they don't do any promotion. But, you know, I took that leap of faith and, you know, we've built a relationship over the years and that's what it is. It's a relationship, you know, it, it, you know, it goes up, it goes down. But overall, um, I've been pretty fortunate with Bridget. She's a very, very good, hardworking gallerist and um, I've been pretty fortunate with her. So let's talk about your paintings a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, they've changed quite a bit over time, and I'm wondering if you could talk about that evolution. The works that, you, that you're familiar with from the beginning, you know, the, the, the our more architectural work was a real break from what I was doing before, which was actually more mixed media and also very organic-looking um, uh, mark-making. I, I came to a point where I felt like, okay, I, I, I really can't do any more with this. So I started getting the itch to do work that was much more expressive in how I handle paint. And I slowly started coming back towards a more organic sort of mark making where uh, out of the grids came these open webs of grids where it was like very, they're still kind of hard edge, but they were much more expansive. Instead of having these rigid lines and having, you know, color blocks, so to speak, um, you know, I left a lot, I leave a lot of areas open from almost like process painting, painting in, to a certain degree where, you know, I leave a lot of the beginning, you can see back through the history of the painting to a certain degree in a lot of my work. Those open grids just became a little looser. I've gotten to a point of having made so much work that now I'm reaching back to bring old ideas forward into new work, which is something I do constantly, finding new ways of using old ideas. So as there's this sort of back and forth, there's this dialogue going on. Do you think there's an emotional content to your paintings? Because I look at them and I see in some of them they're very joyful. The colors in particular make you think happy thoughts. They're very, very happy colors that you mm -hmm. choose, but not in all of your paintings. Mm -hmm. 
So is there an emotional sort of connection between you and what you're doing? Um, it, it could be, but more, it's more about, for me, it's more about, it's more of a formal thing. It's more about finding interesting ways of using color. And sometimes, yeah, it might look dark, so to speak. I'm using quotes. <laughs> um, it might look dark, but um, it doesn't necessarily connote, you know, that I'm in this, you know, dreary period or, you know, and this is what's coming out. It's really just about finding ways of different ways of using color and using form and trying to make keep the keep the work fresh and interesting. So, what are you reading these days? You have lots of magazines and mm-hmm. books around. Um, Who are you reading? Oh wow! Uh, well, I, I read um, as far as magazines. I, I've been I, periodically. I read this one called Elephant. I read uh, Modern Painters. Do you um, read things that are not art? Um, I do, yeah. <laughs> I do. Um, I read science fiction. I read. Um, I read some some nonfiction from time to time. Um, About what? Biographies, um, mostly like artist biographies lately. <laughs> How about music? Music, I'm all over the place. Um, but I do like a lot of experimental. I like a lot of electronic music. Um, I like a lot of dance music. I like a lot of house. But I like a lot of glitchy, um, minimal techno as well. I don't know, just experimental and just out of the mainstream, I guess. You know, anything that I, I love Bjork. Uh, I don't love everything that she does, but I love the risk that she takes. You know, I, I really admire her as a as a recording artist. Tell us about what risk means in your own work. It's just being um, being willing to let go, <laughs> being able to let go of. Um, preconceived notions of who I think I am as an artist because you can do a certain amount of a certain type of work for a while and you know you feel identified with this work but there are times when I start feeling this I get to this point where I start feeling this anxiety inside where I'm like I I've done enough of this you know I need to try and do something else I need to move it somewhere else and then it it becomes really really scary for instance um, this little piece right here I'm pointing to like a small um, Six by six panel that I did that pre that that's like the precursor to all the interruption work. I sat on that for months before I did anything else with it. I did this I did this little piece where I had you know a couple of colors. I laid down um, wallpaper samples, and I, I you know had a couple of colors this yellow and this blue. So I just made these squiggly lines, and I didn't really like what I what I did, and I started painting it out with this you know, this bluish gray color. There was something about that that really grabbed me, but I didn't know what to do about it, do with it at the time. I didn't, I didn't see how it fit into what I was doing before. So it took me a number of months before I could actually, you know, get myself to start integrating this. And once I did that, once I got past that initial anxiety about it, you know, I, it, it took off. That's really great to recognize something that others would have said, oh, my God, that's a mistake. I'm throwing that away. Mm-hmm. But to sit with it and say, well, maybe not. What is it about that? Right. And then to grow it into something else. That, yeah, that happens a lot. I mean, uh, with me anyway. So. Do you have a drawing practice? Um, sketchbooks? I, 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 I do keep sketchbooks, but I write in them more than I actually draw. Um, because the work that I do, I, I go right into the work. There's no preconceived idea. I mean, I might have an idea in my head, but there's no need for me to 
to like sit down and sketch and then go to the work. I just go pretty much straight to the work. So let, let's talk about your color. You are mm -hmm. an African-American mm -hmm. and you're a very successful painter in Philadelphia and very few people who can say that. So do you feel like you have anything that you could be a role model for younger artists coming up to steer them to a path of being a successful artist um, I think in a so. community that's, that's primarily white. Right, right, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a, you know, that's definitely a possibility. It was interesting for me when I was coming up because, you know, there was, you know, there was nobody really, I mean, there, there was, there, actually there were a few people who I, not that I knew, but I knew of, you know, who were African-American artists. Uh, I remember one guy in particular who, who was a substitute teacher. This was during high school. And he came in, and he was African-American, and my regular art teacher was out. And he came in. I remember he had on, like, I think he had on, like, a yellow shirt, you know, button-down shirt. He had this afro. This was, like, you know, the 80s. Yeah. So, you know, afros are still, like, still around. And, um, and he brought in his drawings, and he had these drawings of these voluptuous black women, and it was like, whoa, because I hadn't seen anything like that. You know, like, this is in school, and they, you know, they were nudes. You know, he was like, he just came in, he put them up, and um, he talked about himself, talked about the work, and um, I don't know, we did something that day. I don't remember what we did, but the thing that stuck out about him for me was the fact that he was African-American, and he just had this you know, this confidence about him and his work and what he was doing um, that really kind of stuck with me. It still resonates for me. Like, it was the smallest thing and it wasn't, you know what I mean, that, that made me feel like, wow, you know, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this. So we've been talking to Tim McFarlane and um, thanks for talking to thanks. us. You're welcome. Tim, it was great. Cool. Thanks. Art Blog Radio is brought to you by theartblog.org. Thanks to our sponsors, including the Knight Foundation. Also, we want to thank Peter Crimmins, who makes us sound good. He's our editor. And thanks to Eric Biondo for his music. You can download these podcasts at theartblog.org slash radio.